Chapter Thirteen of Mary Antoinette and the Downfall of Royalty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading done by Jules Harlock of Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. Mary Antoinette and the Downfall of Royalty by Imbert de Saint Amand, translated by Elizabeth G. Martin, Chapter Thirteen, The Disbanding of the Constitutional Guard. Louis the Sixteenth had still some defenders. Some heroes resolved to shed the last drop of their blood for their king. Hence, it was necessary to remove them from his person what means of doing so could be found calumny fable on fable was spread among an always credulous public imaginary conspiracies invented and the wretched monarch constrained to deprive himself of his last resource in order to deliver him weak and disarmed into the hands of his enemies the constitution provided a guard for louis the sixteenth one-third of it was composed of soldiers of the line and the remainder of national guards chosen by the departments themselves from among their best formed richest and best bred citizens it was commanded by one of the greatest lords of the old regime the duc de cossay brissas born in seventeen thirty four the son of a marshal of france the duke had been governor of paris grand steward of france and colonel of the hundred Schweitzers, he had never been willing to leave the king since the beginning of the revolution when his regiment was disbanded he might have fled and louis the sixteenth begged him to do so but the heart of a subject so faithful had been deaf to the entreaties of the unfortunate sovereign sire he had answered if i fly they will say that i am guilty and you will be considered my accomplice my flight would be your accusation i would rather die and in fact he did die he had a real devotion to the former mistress of louis the fifteenth the countess du berry and this latest conquest is not the least important of the favourite's adventures probably count de lonville exaggerates when in his memoirs he extols in madame de barry that decency of tone that nobility of manners that bearing equally removed from pride and humility from license and from prudery that countenance which was enough to refute all the pamphlets nevertheless it is certain that the society of the duc de Bressos inspired the former favorite with generous sentiments after the october days she took the wounded bodyguards into her own house and when the queen sent to thank her for it she replied these wounded young men regret nothing except not having died for a princess so worthy of all homage as your majesty lucienne is yours madame did not your benevolence give it back to me the late king by a sort of presentiment forced me to accept a thousand precious objects before sending me away from his person i already had the honor of offering you this treasure in the time of the notables 
i offer it again madame with eagerness you have so many expenses to provide for and so many favors to confer permit me i entreat you to render to caesar that which belongs to caesar an enthusiastic royalist a gentleman of the old nobility chivalrous and full of courtesy bred in notions of romantic susceptibility like those of clayley and astray the duc de brissas like the knight-errant of former times represented at the court of louis the sixteenth a whole past which was crumbling to decay if the unhappy monarch had been a man of action he would have turned to good advantage a guard commanded by such a champion he could have made it the nucleus of resistance by grouping the swiss regiments and the well-inclined battalions of the national guard around it unfortunately there was nothing warlike in louis the sixteenth among the deplorable causes which ruined him says the count de beaublanc in his memoirs must be counted the wretched education which kept him apart from every sort of military action i remember that in the early days of the consulate after a review held on the place of the tuileries by bonaparte when talking about this to m seward of the french academy i said that bonaparte walked as if he were already to defend himself sword in hand ah oh, well responded mr seward naively we used to think differently we wanted the king to have nothing military about him and never to wear a uniform to this anecdote m de vaublanc adds another we had in seventeen ninety two he says a forcible proof of despondency under which a royal soul spoiled by the detestable education can labor m de narbonne the minister of war with great difficulty induced the king to review three excellent battalions of the paris national guard he was on foot in silk breeches and white silk stockings and wearing his hair in a black bag after the review a notary named chandon i think left the ranks and said to the king sire the national guard would be greatly honored to see your majesty in its uniform sire said m de narbonne at once have the goodness to promise to do so at the head of these three battalions of heroes you could destroy the jacobins den after a minute's reflection the king replied i will inquire of my council whether the constitution permits me to wear the uniform of the national guard louis the sixteenth allowed the last resources accorded by fortune to slip away and elements which in other hands would have produced notable results remained sterile in his the constitutional guard which according to regulation should have numbered eighteen hundred men really amounted says dumouriez to six thousand fit for duty the royalist element predominated in it but a certain number of false brethren had found their way into the ranks who managed by the aid of bribery to spy upon their officers and make reports to the committee of public safety undoubtedly the king's guard did not approve of all that was going on 
but how could devoted royalists and men accustomed to discipline be expected to approve the fiat of the swiss of chateauvieux for example how could they help being indignant when while on duty at the tuileries they heard the populace insult the royal family under the very windows of the palace when they returned to the barracks at the military school they expressed this indignation too forcibly and their words hawked about in all quarters by ill-will were represented as the preliminary symptoms of a reactionary plot a guard commanded by a duc de brissac was intolerable to the jacobins their sole idea was to drive it from the tuileries where its presence appeared to ensure order a thing they held in utmost horror a twentieth of june would not have been possible with the constitutional guard and ever since may the twentieth of june had been in course of preparation its organizers had their plan completely laid already an adroit rumor was started of a so-called plot some saint bartholomew or other which they pretended was on foot against the patriots and of which the ecole militaire was the centre the white flag which was to be the signal for the assassins to assemble was said to be hidden there pétion the mayor of paris under pretext of preventing troubles sent municipal officers to make a search they could not lay their hands on the white flag which was the pretended object of their visit but they did find monarchial hymns and ballads and counter-revolutionary writings an unlucky incident still further increased suspicion the famous countess de lamotte had just published in london some new particulars concerning the affair of the necklace in order to avert scandal the queen had caused laporte attendant of the civil list to buy up the whole edition and he had burned every copy of it at the manufactory of savories that very evening the committee of surveillance were in possession of the fact that laporte had gone to savories with three unknown persons and that thirty bales of paper had been put into the fire in his presence there was at this time a great deal of talk concerning a pretended austrian committee in which a complete plan of restoration by foreign aid was being elaborated it was claimed that the paper burnt at the manufactory were the archives of this committee with which popular imagination was extremely busy denunciations fell in showers laporte and several others were summoned before the committee of surveillance pétion declared that the people were surrounded by conspiracies bazir demanded the disbanding of the king's guard which according to him was made up of servants of the emigres and refractory priests it was claimed that the soldiers to whom the duke of brissac had given sabres with hilts representing a cock surmounted by a royal crown used insulting language concerning the assembly and the nation in their barracks they were said to rejoice in the reverses which the french troops had just sustained on the northern frontier and it was added that they meant to march twenty leagues under a white flag to meet the austrians 
the masses always so easily deceived were convinced that the conspiracy was on the brink of discovery the national assembly took up the question and a stormy debate on it occupied the evening session of may twenty nine what will become of the individual liberty of citizens cried m de if the dominant party merely by alleging suspicions can decree the impeachment of all who displease it and if the different parties coming successfully into power overthrow by means of this unchecked right of impeachment both ministers and all functionaries by the torrent of their intrigues in that case you would see proscriptions like those of marius and Celia. in fact this was what the near future was about to show Bergenot responded by evoking a souvenir of the praetorian guards of caligula and nero at the close of his speech the assembly passed the following decree article one the existing hired guard of the king is disbanded and will be replaced immediately in conformity with the laws article two until the formation of the new guard the national guard of paris will be on duty near the king's person in the same manner as before the establishment of the king's guard a discussion ensued on the subject of brissac's impeachment the struggle between the two opposing parties was of unheard-of vivacity one of the most courageous members of the right monsieur calvet gave free vent to his indignation the informer said he is a scoundrel who makes a thrust with a poignard and hides himself he was unknown at rome until the times of sejanus and tiberius times gentlemen of which you remind me often to the abbey to the abbey retorted the left with fury said godet i demand that monsieur calvet should be sent to the abbey for three days for having dared to say that representatives of the french people remind him of the roman tiberius and sejanus the motion was adopted and the assembly decided that monsieur calvet should pass three days in prison monsieur de jacourt threatened to cudgel chabot and the ex-friar ascending the tribune said i think it was very cowardly on the part of the colonel to offer to cane a capuchin the assembly having passed an order of the day concerning this incident decreed that there was reason for an accusation against m cosset styled brissac and that his papers should be sealed up at once the king and queen awakened in the middle of the night by these tidings besought brissac to make his escape and provided him with the means the duke refused and instead of trying to assure his safety sat down to write a long letter to madame du berry at first louis the sixteenth wished to veto this degree as was his duty but his ministers dissuaded him they reminded him of the october days and the weak monarch alarmed on the account of his family if not on his own sacrificed his constitutional guard and also the brave servitor who commanded it speaking to m du aubier 
one of the ordinary gentlemen of the king's bedchamber the queen said i tremble lest the king's guard should think the honor of the corps compromised by their disarmament doubtless madame that corps would have preferred to die at the feet of your majesties yes replied the queen but the few partisans who still adhere to the king in the assembly counsel him to sanction the decree disbanding them and to disregard their advice is to run the risk of losing them while the queen was yet speaking a man approached under pretence of asking alms you see said she to monsieur du aubier there is no place and no time when i am free from spies the constitutional guard were sent as prisoners to the ecole militaire between a double file of national guards and forced to surrender their weapons by a sort of fatality louis the sixteenth was led to disarm himself to spike his cannons tear down his flags and dismantle his fortresses by dint of approaching too near the fatal declivity of concessions he ended by losing even his dignity as man and king he was paralyzed annihilated by assembly which treated him like a hostage a conquered man and which struck down one after another the last defenders of the monarchy and of public order the fate of the constitutional guard might well discourage honest men who only sought to devote themselves how was it possible to remain faithful to a chief who was false to himself who was more like a victim than a king finding themselves unsupported by the tuileries the royalists began to look across the frontier and many men who would have flocked around an energetic monarch fled from a feeble king and sorrowfully went to swell the ranks of the emigration in spite of the advice of dumouriez louis the sixteenth would not make use of his right to form another guard he preferred to put himself in the hands of the national guard who were his jailers rather than his servants as to the duc de brissac even the formality of an interrogatory was dispensed with and he was sent before the superior court of orleans when he bade adieu to louis the sixteenth the king said to him you are going to prison i should be much more afflicted if you were not leaving me there myself what was to be the fate of the loyal and devoted servant thus sacrificed to his master's inexcusable weaknesses he left the dungeons of orleans only to be transferred to versailles by the marseillais and there on september ninth seventeen ninety two was assaulted by a furious throng surrounding the carriages containing the prisoners the brave old man struggled long against the assassins but after losing two fingers and receiving several other wounds he was killed by a sabre thrust which broke his jaw and his head was set on one of the spikes of the palace gate End of chapter 13